everybody, welcome to the July 29th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Nizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the upcoming visit by Donald Trump, who will be in Colorado for events today. He'll be in Colorado Springs earlier uh, this afternoon, a little after we tape, and then coming up here to Denver for a fundraiser or a rally at Wings Over the Rockies. Patty Calhoun of Westward, I, I guess I'm a little surprised to see Donald Trump coming to Colorado with only a week separating a time when Colorado was a pretty big thorn in his side at the RNC. Well, he's got some fundraisers here, and it's amazing how money can influence people in certain ways. Right now, as this show is being aired, he's at Lowry, Wings Over the Rockies. Um, interestingly, no matter how, come how many times he comes to Colorado, I'm assuming he will still assume it's crooked and rigged here. <laughs> well, it's a perfect segue to our friend David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, so Colorado has, it, it, we've been called rigged. Uh, our delegates were at the back of the room at the convention. We, is Trump really going to find that much fundraising support in a state that hasn't shown him much love so far? Well, he's also, I, I think, trying to put Colorado in play, which it traditionally has been, you know, for the last quarter century as, as a swing state in presidential elections. The conventional wisdom is he's a very bad fit for the state, but, you know, if you're going to try to, to change that and, and make it more of a 50-50 kind of thing, early in the election is a good time to do it, to try to see if he, he can move things. And I would say I'd credit the administration at the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs because he was he rented out their auditorium and he was going to speak there. And some of the uh, the cry bullies at uh, on campus said, oh, no, this creates a hostile environment. You know, we, we can't possibly hear a major party nominee articulating his ideas. We're too upset. Um, and the administration wrote back and said, look, we... We rent out this space when we're not using it for athletics or whatever to anybody who will come and pay, and we don't discriminate based on their point of view, and that's what we have to do as a public university. Eric Sondman, political analyst, is Trump acknowledging the, the swing state status of Colorado, or is this just another stop for him? No, I think he's acknowledging it. I think what's really interesting, we're treating this as a local story, but obviously anytime there's a presidential candidate appearance, it's a national story, particularly when it's on the day after the opposition party's convention. Mm -hmm. So this will be really Trump's first response, uh, other than his Twitter account. Uh, after after the Democratic convention and after Hillary's speech last night, so it takes out added interest. I'm worried personally about our viewership tonight because I assume there's a huge crossover between CIO viewers and those who are going to be over at the Trump rally at Wings Over the Rockies. But uh, he is trying to make Colorado a swing state. It has a ways to go. If Donald Trump wins Colorado, you can be assured of one thing, he'll be the president because if he's winning Colorado, he's winning a whole lot of other states before he gets to Colorado. I think your concern is valid. Out of our dozens of viewers, we don't need the kind of competition we would have against the Rockies. So hopefully they've reached capacity So soon. just to add one point, I, I yeah. think part of what he's doing is trying to blunt the, the impact of Colorado yesterday at the, at the Democratic National Convention. I mean, you know, Hickenlooper was on around 5 o'clock our time. Um, uh, Duran was on. And, uh, you know, he likes to hit back. Mm -hmm. And I think he's going to use this opportunity in um, a very Republican place in Colorado Springs to take a shot. 
and uh, that's what he does. So. I, I think you're absolutely right. It's great to have uh, Gregory yeah. Moore, editor, yeah. former editor of the Denver Post, join us. Yeah. You, you were on a long time ago. I'm back, so we're yeah. very happy to have it's you good on to the be panel. Back. Thank you. Well, let's get to it. Hillary Clinton officially accepted the Democratic nomination for president on Thursday. Her acceptance speech included several policy points and a fair share of one-liners aimed at Donald Trump. Uh, Patty, I don't want to bury the lead here. There is a historic moment. We have a woman accepting the nomination of a major party uh, uh, for president for the very first time. Uh, let's start there and then your thoughts from there. Well, it is true. It's, it is historic that way. I can only wish that it was a woman who hadn't already been in the White House because her husband was there. It would be nice, but we have plenty of political dynasties, so I can't completely fault her for that. You know, today is the 101st day before the election. I feel like I lived through 101 years over the last two weeks watching the convention, including last night. The lineup of speeches was really very strong. I mean, the, the parent, the father of the dead um, warrior, uh, oh, my God, the Khan, the Khan family. That mm -hmm. was incredible. I would have just cut the convention off right there. He was so good after Barack Obama, after Michelle Obama's incredible speeches. She, Hillary had a lot to live up to after those speeches. She did very well, I think, for someone who is not a really comfortable public speaker or mm -hmm. she's a comfortable policy wonk. She even made a joke about that. But I could have used about half as much Hillary, but I thought her speech was in general pretty good. I think she did about as well as she could have in that speech. Uh, I could have lived also without the balloons at the end. Those went on and the beach balls went on for a long time. But overall, it was a feel-good convention. She also did plagiarize my Midnight in America line I used last week, I noticed, in the morning in America, Midnight mm -hmm. in America. But she hit the high point. She was optimistic. She was light compared to how dark the Republicans had been. So she ended that on an up note. David, uh, and we'll get to the the whole host of things happened in the DNC for, for the second round, including our own Governor Hickelimper. But when you saw Hillary Clinton speak, um, was it the appropriate response to Donald Trump, and do you think she, do you think she at least unified uh, the supporters there at the convention? Because that's a pretty big job to do. I think she unified them less than the impression you'd get if you just watched the the network coverage, mm -hmm. the, because the uh, part of the. This is a very well-managed convention, much more so than the Republican one. And one of the things they were good at managing uh, was suppressing the continuing hostility of, of some of the Bernie supporters. Uh, you know, you, to find that, you might have had to go to C-SPAN or sometimes to the, the, the people doing their own videos. For example, the, the California, the Bernie delegates and the California delegation are still very anti-Hillary. A lot of them were carrying Jill, Jill Stein signs to vote for the, uh, the Green Party. Uh, somebody took one of these Hillary uh, polls and rearranged the letters so it says liar. Um, but, you know, when they did the anti-Hillary chants while she was speaking, they got drowned out by people at the convention doing pro-Hillary, and all you could hear on television was that. As Patty said, she's a... It's very hard to be a... give a great speech that, that's really good for a large convention hall and also comes across well on TV. Uh, Barack and Michelle Obama have that skill. I don't think she does few people do but she she did better at that than than ever before so she's she's continuing to improve um, what made me sad was on the one hand she did strike the right tone of being more inclusive and optimistic uh, than Trump has been but, he said a low bar but, <laughs> yeah but but that's not 
really the platform and the the rhetoric was great, but that's not what she's running on. For example, she now is, is completely in the pocket of the teachers' unions based in Washington, D.C., and a complete enemy of public charter schools. In contrast to the policies of President Obama, President Bush, and President Bill Clinton, all of whom recognize that public charters are an important point of helping people, especially on the uh, who don't have much uh, social capital starting out with, mm -hmm. uh, to, to get a good education in places where the public school system, the traditional schools, aren't, aren't working so well uh, for everybody. And, and likewise, the Obama speech made me really sad because it was so, it was a beautiful speech. Every patriotic American had to agree with about at least 90% of what he said. And it was so right, Reagan-esque even in its own way. But what, what's he been as president? He's the guy who brought Al Sharpton into the White House to talk about, to be his big advisor on race. The, the divisiveness of the way Obama has governed was really so sadly different from the, the beauty of his 2004 speech and of his 2016 speech. Eric, one of the points that uh, David made, the, the Reagan-esque, and going back to Hillary Clinton's speech, I, we heard it from a variety of pundits on uh, the various cable channels that there were a lot of old-school Republican uh, phrases, terminology, uh, uh, terms that you heard throughout the DNC and especially in Hillary's speech. I mean, the whole, you know, uh, morning in America, midnight in America, that was referencing Ronald Reagan. <laughs> There's, I think, I don't know, I think it was Stephen Colbert talking about how many times we've mentioned Ronald Reagan at the DNC uh, as a positive thing. So uh, overall, when you're just looking at uh, Hillary Clinton's speech and what she had to do with it, what did you think? I think she was good enough and used, to use Barack Obama's words from eight years ago, she was likable enough. Uh, we're grading on a curve. She is graded on a different curve than Barack Obama is as a speechmaker, or than Ronald Reagan is, or even than her husband is as a speechmaker, or than Michelle Obama is, who was masterful on Monday night. Uh, but given that we're grading on a curve, she passed the test. I don't think she aced the test, but she, she, I don't know that she needed to ace the test. This is such a crazy, wacky year. She has one huge benefit in this election. I think it is her only huge benefit, and that's her opponent is Donald Trump, who a very significant chunk of the country has already ruled out. I mean, if her opponent was a more acceptable, credible, mainstream Republican, a Marco Rubio, a John Kasich, you can throw other names, we'd be having a very different conversation and the dynamics of both conventions would be very different. So that's, that's her whole card is she gets to run against uh, Donald Trump. The Democratic Party is a hugely different Democratic Party. I couldn't help but contrast this Democratic Party with the one that nominated her husband now, what is that, uh, 24 years ago. He had been the hero of the Democratic Leadership Council, which was an effort to uh, bring the Democratic Party into the center to make it business friendly. And anyone who would even remotely suggest those themes at this convention was would have been hooted and booed uh, off the stage. Mm -hmm. There is, lastly, a huge dichotomy to Hillary's campaign. On the one hand, she took the baton, literally almost, the baton of continuity from Barack Obama at that memorable moment on Wednesday night. So she, on the one hand, she's running on continuity. On the other hand, her husband's trying to sell her as, quote, the change maker. And you have a country where the most important question on any poll is, do you think we're headed in the right direction or are we off on the wrong track? And this country right now is over 70 percent 
Democrats, Republicans across the board, that we're off on the wrong track. Now, the question is, does Donald Trump offer a better track? But for the incumbent party, and that's what she represents, and she's the ultimate sort of insider candidate of the incumbent party, how do you both run on the platform of change and on the platform of continuity in such a hostile, anti-establishment environment of upheaval. Mm -hmm. That is her challenge. That's what we're going to have to watch for the next three months. Greg, Hillary had a tough job. You had, um, you had to unify a party that's pretty fiercely divided. Um, you have the last chance at the microphone. You have to respond to Donald Trump. And in the end, this is your shot to talk to everybody in America, not just the Democrats in the convention. Yeah. How'd she do? I thought she did fantastic, actually. I'm not the biggest Hillary fan. I, I think she has some self-inflicted tendencies to hurt herself. But I thought she did exactly what she needed to do, is to set out a vision for the country that is at odds, at great odds, with the, the vision that was set out by the Republicans and Donald Trump. You know, the, most of this convention was spent with speakers trying to explain what America is, trying to remind us of, you know, what it means to be an American, how big our heart is, you know, uh, what our principles are. And you should not have to spend three days telling Americans who they are, okay? You just shouldn't have to do it, which tells you just how divided this country has become or how fearful this country has become, that you have to remind people of that. You even have to have, you know, <laughs> Muslim Americans come out and explain that we're patriotic too. We shed our blood for this country. It's a, in a way, it's a shame, but it was done in a very effective way um, throughout the previous three days. She closed the deal with specifics. And, and I don't think there's any greater contrast. What she said is, look, a guy that's easily provoked by a tweet, do you want his finger on the nuclear button? That's really what it comes down to. It was another version of the 3 a.m. commercial she used against, uh, against Obama. And so now as we approach the 101 days, this is really what it comes out to. Now, here's the thing. Most politicians from the other party will say, you know, I didn't even watch the convention. I was busy doing my nails or whatever it is that they do. This guy, Donald Trump, is live tweeting during the convention, okay, which is just so unusual, doing counter-programming and blowing himself up in the process, inviting the Russians to cyber-spy on American citizens, okay? It's just, uh, you know, I think the more she can show those contrasts, the more she can build on what she did on Thursday night, um, the, the easier the distinction is going to be for Americans who have to decide in November who to pick as president. Mm -hmm. Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper made the most of his high-profile appearance at the DNC, speaking on the same night as Hillary and fueling more rumors that he may have a place in her cabinet if she wins. Speeches earlier in the week from Michelle Obama, Bill Clinton, and President Obama, as we mentioned, also made major headlines uh, throughout the week. So, uh, David, as you see the DNC as whole, and including Governor Hickenlooper's appearance, um, what stood out to you? Did he make the most of his opportunity? Yes, taking into account that, that like Hillary Clinton, he, he doesn't have that rare gift of being able to do the convention flow, do a, speak to a convention and, and a national TV at the same time. And so he's, his, I'd say his delivery was, was fine, but it wasn't outstanding. Um, he had a good line that, in contrast to Trump, who's famous for you're fired, he prefers to say you're hired. Um, and he's actually someone who has created a business, small business, but on the other hand, Nothing he's done has ever gone bankrupt, whereas Trump has six bankruptcies. Um, I think he is getting a little bored with being Colorado governor, and uh, he would be a, a very plausible uh, cabinet pick. 
if you look at the Secretary of the Interior, uh, that going back to 1980, we've had four Coloradans in that job, Donald Hodell, James Watt, Gail Norton, and Ken Salazar. Um, two of those actually associated with the Independence Institute, so we, we, we like the, uh, it, it being reserved for Coloradans. Uh, his difficulty, if he gets nominated, is he is on, on energy development. He's a science-based guy, and he will run into opposition in the Senate from the uh, faith-based uh, anti-science uh, community, which has moral opposition uh, to the use of fossil fuels. And when you tell them that it's safe and we have strict regulations and all that, uh, they run around screaming because that's like, you know, going to uh, Mecca and saying we're going to put pork on the menu. They're not really interested in hearing the nutritional facts. <laughs> Eric, Eric, again, David offers up so many different things for you to respond to. Um, uh, menu options in Mecca was a, certainly a curveball I did not expect today, but uh, that, being that as it may, um, here we have... Uh, a year like this, and you have great, I'm going to say call it, you know, whether you like him, agree with him or not, you have really great speeches from Michelle Obama, Bill Clinton, and especially President Obama. Do those go as far as they usually would in a year like this? That's the question. I mean, uh, there's some people who think there was a method to the madness of the Republican convention, and that given that they nominated a reality TV star, they programmed it as a reality TV show where every night ended in a little bit of controversy and a little bit of doubt and a little bit of let's tune in tomorrow to see how this gets resolved. Maybe there is a method to the madness. This was, as I think maybe Greg pointed out, a much more traditional convention. It was much more carefully and professionally stage managed. We heard some great oratory. Obama's speech, I mean, he is a wonderful orator, and there's an elegance to him. Whatever you make of his presidency and history will judge, there's an elegance to him as a role model, and Michelle fits into that category as well. I actually thought Bill Clinton's speech, you know, yeah, there were, there were charming parts of it. It was thankfully brief compared to the typical Bill Clinton speech, but there was also an off-key, a little bit of a weird factor to it as well. I thought Tim Kaine's speech was adequate, but, uh, you know, a single, a double, certainly not a home run. As to John Hickenlooper, I think the real note is he was invited to be a speaker on Thursday night at the convention. I think that's probably more important than what he had to say. As we talked a week ago about Daryl Glenn, the networks didn't really cover his speech, so it's the old line that I used a week ago, if a tree falls in the forest, you know, so what? Um, I didn't think it was John Hickenlooper's finest speaking moment, but that's not what he is known for. That's not the, the core of his popularity. Lastly, to David's point, this, I, I consider John Hickenlooper, for all his gifts, he's one of the most ADD people I know. And in his second term as mayor, he was clearly bored with that job and wanting something else, which turned into a run for governor. He's now in his second term as governor, and he is clearly looking down the road for what is next and hoping there is a, a, a ticket to D.C. in some capacity. I'm not sure he was ever really seriously in the vice presidential sweepstakes, but he might be in the sweepstakes for a cabinet position. Greg, what do you think? Can John Hickelooper turn? What opportunity can he turn this speech into? Well, first of all, he brings some advantages. I mean, you know, he did raise a heck of a lot of money for the Democratic National Convention when he came here. He knows all the players, much the way Michael Bennett does. I think he could be a big help to Michael Bennett as a result of this exposure. Uh, I do think it puts him in a little bit of a position for a cabinet uh, position, but I'm not positive that that's what he wants. 
Uh, I, I do believe him when he says that there are things that he enjoys about being governor of Colorado. I think this strengthens him. It makes him the top Democrat no matter what uh, at this point in the state. And uh, so there's some advantages for him to continue to stay and play in this pond. So I'm not 100% convinced that I can envision him as a Commerce Secretary or an Interior Secretary. Um, I'm not sure I, I, I see that right now in his future. So it remains to be seen. Patty, what do you think? We had the rest of the DNC, all these great speeches, and we had John Hickelooper, not, not besmirching his, but they weren't nearly in the category of uh, Michelle Obama, President Obama. Uh, what stood out to you, and what do you think of Governor Hickelooper's opportunity that he was given on Thursday? Well, you know, he spoke four years ago, too, at the convention, so this wasn't completely new. It was interesting because he was just on the cusp before the live broadcast started on the major networks. Interestingly, he didn't show the goofy, quixotic charm that we have gotten used to here. Tim Kaine had a lot more of that as the vice presidential candidate. Hickenlooper came across as a solid businessman, but it wasn't the Hickenlooper we usually see here in Colorado. And I think we'll see him here for another two years because he said he'd like to finish serving it out. What's more fun than being governor of Colorado? Going and being the Commerce Secretary? I don't think so. Let's get a quick take on this last one as we're running out of time. Accusations surrounding an alleged assault charge from 1983 tripped up U.S. Senate Republican candidate Daryl Glenn this week. Glenn's responses to the accusation have included that he does not remember the incident, that it may have involved another Daryl Glenn, and that the charges were falsely accused. The incident in question was from 1983 when Glenn was 18. Greg, uh, your short, uh, excuse me, Eric, I apologize. Eric, your uh, short answer on the Daryl Glenn situation. It's happy to start either place here, but uh, I think the statement that Daryl Glenn finally came out with, maybe on Thursday of this week, was a beautiful statement, and it painted a picture of what his upbringing was like. The problem was the statement was two days late. First rule of politics is when it comes to opposition research, before you ever research your opponent's vulnerabilities, you research your own vulnerabilities and be prepared to answer that. He did not pass that test. He looked like he was all over the map. Uh, it didn't look like he was quite ready for prime time and how he handled it this week, no matter that it was 33 years ago. The 33 years ago doesn't matter. It's how you handle it in the present tense that matters. Greg, will how he handled this situation dog him for the campaign? I don't think so. I mean, I think there are a lot of people, when you look at the circumstances as he ultimately described them, would say, hey, right on. You stepped in and stopped something from happening that I think a lot of people think uh, an 18-year-old kid ought to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his problem was just uh, dissembling at the very beginning. There's another, you know, it could be my brother, it could be this. But, but I also understand that, you know, over time, something as bad and as personal as that, you know, you, there can be some gauze that sort of, you know, sort of comes over a situation like this. But I don't think it's going to really dog him unless people want to be uncharitable. That's my view of it. Patty, what do you think? I think the bigger problem is it shows sometimes he... He speaks and doesn't think. This isn't the only instance where we've seen it. We remember um, with Kaiser when he was talking about his war record, you know, and he had no evidence as far as we could tell. He just threw it out there. And here he had a really bad early response to the Denver Post. People can be very sympathetic to troubles you're going through when you're 18. His backstory, once he remembered what it was, incredibly compelling. But it does indicate he doesn't respond well or he's not thinking things through and I think we'll see more instances before we're done. David, Tempest in a teapot or fair criticism how it was handled? Uh, as a political matter he didn't do a good job by lying about it for a couple of days and then but it, as others have said it, it's 
the incident he was involved in, he was actually doing the right thing under, under dangerous circumstances. You know, Michael Bennett went around and won re-election by saying that Ken Buck wanted to repeal the 17th Amendment, and even after the paper the, the allows people to vote for senators, and even after all the papers called him on it and said, you're just lying through your teeth, he kept on brazening it out and, and doing it. So, you know, in, in terms of credibility, I don't think this puts uh, Bennett at a disadvantage versus Bennett. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, please start us off. It's amazing that DNC did as well in that convention as they did, given how it started with the to stories about the leaks and the Russians breaking in. You know, if the Russians are breaking in, it should just remind us that you do not behave like that anyway when you're, you're the DNC. You don't send emails out about how you're going to sabotage another candidate. It was disgraceful what we found out had gone on. And then blaming it on the Russians immediately. You should maybe be a little more secure, but you shouldn't. You should behave well whether or not you think the Russians are breaking into your email. Talk about tripping out of the gate. David. Uh, Venezuela today has announced the reinstitution of slavery. Uh, dictator Maduro has said that... In, a decree that's going to send people into the fields uh, to do forced labor because, of course, the country is starving to death after he's, his socialism has wrecked the economy. And, of course, there's no possibility of, of resistance because, like all socialists and other dictators, uh, he's confiscated all the citizens' guns in the country. Eric? In this era of reality TV and mixing with politics, we had our own reality TV candidate here briefly. <laughs> The bachelor, I think his name is Ben Higgins, was going to run for state legislature up in north or northwest Denver, but apparently ABC and for complicated motives pushed him out of that race. I think uh, it would have been an interesting story to maybe have a Republican reality TV candidate who was something other than Donald Trump. So shame on ABC. Well, they gave him the choice. You can pick the spinoff or actually serve your uh, community. Pick the spinoff. <laughs> Great. Uh, I would say the disgrace of the week is, you know, all these years later now, we still don't know who killed Sandra uh, Levy, that mm. the, the person who was originally convicted now, the jailhouse informant says, I lied, I made it up, and so he goes free, and we still don't know what happened to this intern from California who went to Washington and ended up dead. Right before 9-11, remember yeah, that? it's terrible. Uh, uh, we have limited time, so say something nice about somebody very quickly. Uh, to quote Hillary Clinton, quoting Alexis de Tocqueville, Colorado is great because it's good. Happy Colorado Day on August 1st. You're here. David. Kizer Khan, who spoke at the Democratic National Convention and told Donald Trump, you sacrifice nothing and no one, and that he ought to read the Constitution and look for the words liberty and equal protection of law. Uh, he could have also said those words to the Democratic nominee. Eric. I was going a similar place, maybe with less of a barb than David was, but that, that, that Khan speech, Kizer Khan, and to his son who paid the ultimate sacrifice for this country and is every bit the patriot that any other American of any ethnicity or background is, that was as powerful and compelling a moment as I can remember at many a political convention. Great. I would just say I, I can't get enough of America Ferreira. I just think that she is incredibly articulate, passionate, and really beautiful. That's all the time we had tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Be, as always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and for our CIO postgame segment on Twitter and Facebook. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.